0: CHAPTER Twenty Two OF THE OCEAN OF AIR, METEOROLOGY FOR BEGINNERS This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Miles. THE OCEAN OF AIR, METEOROLOGY FOR BEGINNERS by Agnes Sheburn. The Great Water Circulation. It is hardly possible to gain a clear idea of water circulation generally without a few words first on the subject of ocean circulation. These two fluids, air and water, are intimately bound together, so intimately that neither can be long viewed without some reference to the other. The two oceans, that of air and that of water, are to a very great extent governed by the same laws, far more so than we living at the bottom of the air ocean would naturally suppose. Water, as water, wherever it may be, always strives to keep its own level to present a perfectly even upper surface. Whether a mass of water be large or small, it can never remain at rest with one part of its surface higher than another part. A stream immediately flows from the upper to the lower surface to restore the lost level. This is much the same as we have seen in the Ocean of Air true we do not talk of a gas or a portion of air keeping its level since a gas can spread out equally well in all directions but when we consider the ocean of air as a whole we find it following almost the identical rules of an ocean of water the manner in which it flows to and fro to preserve above what may perhaps be called a level surface at all events to arrange that equal quantities and weights of air shall be over all parts of earth's surface has already been explained another rule is common to the two oceans we have seen in the circulation of air how every current of air makes needful a second or counter current it is the same in the circulation of ocean waters every current of water flowing one way makes needful a second current the other way just so much water as passes from the north to the south must also pass from the south to the north just so much water as pours towards the equator must also pour away from the equator If not, all ocean waters would gradually collect in a vast heap upon one part of the ocean bed, while other parts would be left dry. Many causes combine to keep the ocean in ceaseless unrest. Winds blow over its surface from all quarters of the compass, bearing the surface waters with them. Unequal heating of one part and another, causing some waters to expand and grow light, while others remain cold and heavy, is a fruitful source of currents vast quantities of water are daily drawn up by the sun into the atmosphere from one place to be poured down in another thus further disturbing ocean's balance mighty rivers rush from the land each making fresh readjustment needful the tides sweep to and fro day after day stirring up the great expanse anew such and countless other disturbing forces render a petrified and changeless ocean impossible he causeth his wind to blow and the waters flow these are words written very long ago yet true now as then the power of winds to produce currents in the ocean has been often questioned but there can be no doubt that such persistent winds as the trades have great influence in causing steady and continuous surface drifts each of the five chief oceans has its own separate circulation the entire mass of water moving slowly round in an enormous eddy before going on elsewhere a most weighty part in the atlantic eddy is played by the gulf stream it seems strange to think of an actual river in the ocean yet many such exist the gulf stream is an actual river of warm water flowing northward out of the tropics upon a bed of cold water with cold water banks the distinction between the warm gulf stream waters and the cold ocean waters is so sharp that a ship may lie across half in the stream half in the ocean the line of separation being plainly seen the gulf stream waters are not only much warmer but much salter and therefore of a much deeper blue than the ocean waters if water gained and lost heat as quickly as land does the gulf stream would be of very little use to us in the british isles but happily it is not so the thick underlying cushion of cold water keeps the gulf stream from the ground which would fast steal its warmth and so it pours on to british shores holding still a good deal of its tropical heat on first leaving the gulf of mexico the stream is about thirty miles wide and moves at the rate of three hundred and sixty feet each hour By the time it has wandered as far north as newfoundland it is over three hundred miles in breadth and moves much more slowly yet it is still distinct from the ocean we may see in the gulf stream a remarkable illustration of that enlarging which was spoken of a little earlier in connection with heated air over a desert and over the tropics the waters of the ocean river being much warmer than the waters of the ocean around expand or swell outwards the central line of the gulf stream off hatteras stands about two feet higher than the ocean level partly indeed from rapid motion between confining banks but partly also from the increased bulk of the heated water in consequence of this perpetual surface streams pour from the top to either side colder and heavier waters find their way in below and the gulf stream is gradually forced upward the stream flowing in a bed which steadily widens and grows more shallow the swelling of the heated water the two outflowing surface streams above and the two inflowing cold currents below seem to be on a smaller scale very much the same that we have seen to take place in the ocean of air over the equator resulting in trades and antitrades so distinctly does the surface slant downward to either side that floating seaweed and driftwood are known never to find their way across the gulf stream they cannot do so for they would have to climb a hill and ridge of water all the rivers run into the sea yet the sea is not full unto the place from whence the rivers come thither they return again that is precisely what happens all the rivers speaking generally run into the sea with the exception of the jordan flowing into an inland sea and a few like instances all rivers find their way not only into the sea of any particular country but into the sea the great ocean yet the sea is not full the ocean waters are under restraint they do not rise up to swamp and overpower the lands as probably they might if all the water that exists in earth and air found its way to the ocean and remained there But from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Where do the rivers come from? In a great measure, from hilltops and mountain ranges, water collects on high lands, falling from the clouds, draining from snowfields. It pours downward in streams, which, joined by other streams, grow into torrents and swell into rivers, running into the sea. What next? These rivers return, how and where? they become part of the ocean first. The water particles which formed the rivers on land now flow to and fro in ocean currents. For a while, perhaps, they are far down in ocean's depths, away from sunlight. Sooner or later they find their way towards the surface. By and by, while there, exposed to the sun's heat, they pass upward into the air as invisible vapour. Then the air carries them over the land, and the heated ground warms the air, making it expand and rise upward like wood plunged in water through heavier air overhead. So, rising, it grows cold again and can no longer contain all its moisture. The once river particles are next pressed gently out of the air as a little mist, and they go to join a cloud near the cloud is borne by air currents to and fro till perhaps it reaches the very same mountain from which ran the river which brought these water particles down to the sea the cold mountain peak cools still farther the air in which the cloud rests then heavy showers of rain fall soaking the earth filling the rills and feeding the rivers which run into the sea or the mountain and cloud are both so high up in the air that the cloud is frozen and snow falls instead of rain it comes to the same thing in the end the snow drains out in a river of ice and the river of ice becomes a river of water now we see how true it is that from whence the rivers come thither they return again do they come from mountain ranges mountains receive far more plentiful supplies of rain and snow than level plains the rain and snow combine to feed the rivers the rivers feed the sea the sea feeds the air the air feeds the clouds the clouds empty themselves upon the mountains do the rivers come from the clouds that is equally true clouds pour down rain rain fills the rivers the rivers supply the sea the sea surface dries into the air as vapor the vapor becomes clouds so whether we start with mountain rivulets or with clouds the circle is complete and we come always round to our starting point the whole world land and ocean and atmosphere has been described as a vast distilling apparatus the warm south seas serve for its boiler the sun is its furnace the colder regions north and south are its condensers we may talk of the atmosphere as a huge pumping engine for pumping up and showering down water but the atmosphere does not and cannot act alone it works in company with land and ocean under the sun's control tropical oceans steadily heated by the sun's rays send streams of vapour into the air these streams of vapour pass upward with the steadily ascending air of the equatorial calm belt air as it rises becomes colder not merely because the upper regions of the atmosphere are colder but because the lessened weight of air above makes it expand and in this act of expanding or stretching a certain amount of heat is given out now, the air growing colder becomes virtually damper. Not actually damper because it does not contain more vapor than before, but virtually damper because it is more nearly saturated, more nearly obliged to part with some of its hidden vapor. The next stage is that it does reach a saturation point and does lose moisture, which is poured down as heavy rain. The torrents of rain peculiar to the calm belt of the equator were described earlier having parted thus with a goodly amount of vapour the air still mounting reaches that level in the atmosphere where the antitrades flow to north and south it used to be supposed that the high level currents from the equator carried away immense supplies of moisture to be poured down as rain over the temperate zones beyond cancer and capricorn over the south of europe for example this view is now held with more reserve no doubt the anti do contain a certain amount of vapour even after sending down abundant torrents near the equator great cold however rapidly condenses moisture into cloud and rain and these tropical currents before starting for the north or south reach very high and very cold regions of the atmosphere they can hardly therefore be supposed to bear away any enormous amount of tropical vapour the cold which they encounter in temperate countries even in winter can hardly exceed the intense cold of those lofty air levels above the topmost mountain peaks ever climbed by man whatever moisture the anti still hold when they come down to earth beyond the tropic of cancer can hardly be distilled into cloud or rain by the cold of southern europe it would rather be carried away to the far north there to feed the arctic snowfields and glaciers in an earlier chapter the atmosphere was spoken of as a big invisible sponge always resting on the ocean and becoming filled with water near the equator the sponge gets well saturated then passing upward it has a very severe squeeze from the intense cold of higher regions which sends down rain and torrents after that violent squeeze one would hardly suppose the sponge to be sensitive to further squeezes from the soft air of south europe in all these operations as said earlier the real working power is the sun the atmosphere without the sun would be as the steam engine without furnace fires a very perfect machine no doubt but powerless to act air is simply the machine or engine through which the sun acts the task carried out by sun and air is indeed no slight one to raise daily tons upon tons of water out of the ocean to lift these mighty masses high not in one convulsive heave, but calmly, gently, noiselessly, with no sign of effort or strain, to bear them to and fro lightly, as a leaf is carried by the wind, to pour them down again on land and sea, not in one death-dealing cataract, but in showers of separate drops. This is what has to be done, what is done, day after day, by the great sun and the obedient air." But for the sun, we should have no drying up of moisture, no clouds, no rain. Nay, but for the sun, we should have no glaciers or snowfields. For glaciers are fed by snowfields, snowfields are fed by clouds, clouds are fed by invisible vapor in the air, vapor is lifted out of the sea into the air by the sun so without sun-heat there could be no floating vapour without vapour no clouds without clouds no snow without snow no glaciers a curious chain of causation distinctly providing that the ice rivers of switzerland and of the arctic regions have their origin in the heat of the sun indeed the greater the power of the sun in the summer of southern lands the larger are the supplies of vapour drawn into the air the greater the amount of vapor carried by the winds against mountain ranges or into the north the heavier will be the snowfall an exceptionally hot summer is often followed by an exceptionally cold winter while a cooler summer means often a warmer winter to come so round and round in and out the water circulation continues out of the sea into the air out of the air into clouds, out of clouds down upon earth, from the earth into the ocean, or out of snow into water, out of water into vapor, out of vapor into a snow cloud, out of a snow cloud into snow. The course of changes, the chain of events may be differently told. Either way, it is a circular chain without apparent beginning or end. End of chapter 22.